Galatians 3. This is where we find ourselves in our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we want to pick up our study. We are through the, the holidays and you know all the different um, things that we had going, and, and now we're back uh, to where we left off. Uh, perhaps you remember uh, we covered the first two chapters of Galatians over several weeks. And let me just refresh your memory and just, again, look at the fact that the first two chapters kind of lay the foundation for everything that Paul is now going to go on and say. So Paul, in these first two chapters, he, um, he was really defending, he had to, unfortunately, he had to defend uh, both his apostleship and his gospel. So Paul comes to Galatia. Galatia is, is a Gentile region. He comes uh, with the gospel into a, a very paganistic environment. He brings that gospel in, and, and all of these essentially pagan people come to put their faith in Christ, and they're experiencing the glory and the wonder of God's presence and his power and his forgiveness and the transformation, and, and all of that's happening. It's all wonderful. But then Paul leaves and he goes, he continues on in his journey to establish more churches. And in his absence, some come and they are false teachers and they begin to uh, insinuate that Paul isn't really an apostle. He wasn't really part of that original band and therefore you can't trust him. And his gospel isn't really the true gospel because if you really knew the gospel, you would know that it's connected to Moses and the law as well. And this is the kind of trip that they began to lay on the Galatians. And sadly, the Galatians bought it hook, line, and sinker. And so in these first two chapters, it's all narrative, and Paul is walking them through the history, and he's saying, well, actually, no, I am an apostle. I was appointed uh, directly by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. No, I wasn't part of that original band, but I've been with them. I know them. Uh, we've had time together. We've ministered together. And as a matter of fact, those guys have nothing on me. There's, there's no, whatever, whatever they seem to be, uh, Paul said, you know, there was, they didn't add anything to his faith. Uh, he was one with Peter, one with John, one with James. So he puts that to silence. And then also his gospel, he said, my gospel is the true gospel. It's the pure gospel. It's the gospel that I didn't receive from men. It's a gospel that I received from Christ himself. And so that's where Paul uh, sort of ended with his uh, defense of his apostleship and his gospel. Now, beginning in chapter three and through the remainder of the epistle, now Paul is going to be uh, seeking to correct the error of the Galatians and to set them back on the path of grace. And so all the way through now, that's, that's really Paul's objective and that's what we're gonna be looking at as we go through. So, uh, but again, I want you to just kind of get in your mind just a visual of, of the background. And every time I read, especially this third chapter, these first five verses of the third chapter, you, you get a picture of how beautiful it was in the early days of the history of this church in Galatia. It was just, it was a beautiful thing. And, and I would imagine if you 
you know, if they had a church building, one, or, you know, just the various locations. I would imagine that when you walked into these places, man, you just felt the presence of God. You felt the peace of God. Love of God was flowing everywhere. The spirit of God was at work. Miracles, things like that were taking place, and people were being drawn to Jesus, and it was all this beautiful thing. And then these false teachers come in, and, and the whole thing stops. It just brings the whole thing to a halt. And that's exactly what legalism will do to a move of the Spirit. And so Paul, uh, just remembering what they had and now uh, knowing how they've embraced this wrong thing and, and what that's done to them, he starts off and he just says to them, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips, who translated uh, the New Testament uh, from, from Greek into kind of a paraphrase in English, he, he translated this, you idiotic Galatians. What, what are you thinking? How could you be so stupid? That, that was kind of his translation. But that's really what Paul is getting at here. How could you be so stupid? How could you embrace this? How could you have been, been experiencing all of this goodness and love and this presence of God and then exchange it for this rigid, legalistic thing that's just quenched the spirit. That's foolish. And so what Paul does is he, he goes on here, you know, he says to them, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who, who has cast a spell on you? Paul sees behind the false teachers that there's actually an evil spirit. The Satan himself is the one who's brought them into this bondage. But he goes on here, and in these nine verses, what he does is he, first of all, he's going to appeal to their experience, their own experience, to hopefully jar them, to get them to remember what they've given up or where they came from and what they've lost and to turn back to it. But he's not only going to appeal to their experience, he's going to also appeal to Scripture. And so in verses one through five, he appeals to their experience. In verses six through nine, he appeals to scripture. So in verses one through five, Paul appeals to their own experience to show them their folly. And, and here he asks them five questions. They are this, who has bewitched you, number one. Secondly, how did you receive the spirit? Taking them back. How was it that you were saved in the first place? receiving the spirit, he's talking about how was it that the spirit came into your life initially. And then he asks him another question. He says, do we look to the flesh to bring spiritual perfection? Is that really what, what you think? And then he addressed the issue of their, their having suffered. You, you've suffered for your faith. Has that all been in vain? Are you just going to throw it all away? And then finally he asked, he said, are miracles the result of law keeping or simple faith in Christ? And then with each of these, he brings, uh, in each one of these statements, there's, there's some argument that he's bringing forth. So with the first one, notice in verse one, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, when I was with you, when I preached the gospel to you, it was as though it was the, the gospel came in such power, it was as though you saw Jesus on the cross yourself. It was as though you saw him there and you understood fully that that was all 
and everything that would ever be needed to save you. Paul's saying, what happened? How, how did you lose that? You understood that at one time. When he says, uh, before whom Jesus Christ was clearly crucified, Paul is indicating that they understood all of the implications of the crucifixion. That the crucifixion meant that salvation was secured. That Jesus had paid the, the full price. Remember, at the end of um, the life of Jesus, right there, you remember his very last words? His very last words were, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished, it is finished, it is accomplished, it has been completed. What is he talking about? The work of redemption. The eternal salvation of man has now been accomplished. Jesus did everything that needed to be done to save us and to secure us for eternity. Paul's saying, you knew that. You started out with that. You understood that. Who has cast a spell on you that you have now lost sight of that? And then secondly, he asked the question, therefore, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How was it that you got saved? Did you get saved by coming under uh, a legal system? Is that how you received the spirit? Is that how the Spirit of God came and took up residence in you? Or was it by the hearing of faith? Now, these guys were pagans. They weren't Jews. They weren't following the, the law of God. They were not subject to the Ten Commandments. They were involved in, in uh, idolatry and, and idol worship and just living according to their sinful nature. That's, that's where they were at. How did they get saved? No, it wasn't by coming under a legal system. It was by hearing the gospel and receiving it. That's how they received the Spirit, through simple faith. And then in verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? It's, it's like Paul's, you know, you can almost see him like just going, oh, what, are you, are you guys, what, are you crazy? What are you thinking? How can, how can you think this? That, that you, you've begun in the spirit and now you're gonna, you're gonna be perfected in the flesh? Your flesh that is tainted by sin is somehow going to make a positive contribution to what Christ did. You think that what Christ did is not enough to save you and you have to, you have to add on to it? Well, all you could add to it is something that's tainted by sin. That's certainly not going to help. But of course, the point is, there was no need to add anything to it because they had begun in the spirit. That's the place. You begin in the spirit. You live in the spirit. You end in the spirit. It all comes back to the spirit. So having begun in the spirit, could you possibly be made perfect in the flesh? The answer is absolutely not. No way. Never. And then verse four, have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Apparently the Galatians suffered for their faith. They were persecuted because of their trusting in Jesus. And Paul is saying, are you throwing all of that away? Is that, is that all in vain? Because what they were doing was they were essentially getting ready to just kind of discard their faith in Christ and go under this legal system. And then finally he says, 
in verse five. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The work of God's spirit. So when Paul came to Galatia, evidently there were miraculous things that were happening. Paul was an apostle and miracles were, were worked through his hands. We know that from the book of Acts and other places. And evidently, that wasn't limited to Paul. Evidently, that kind of activity was, carry, was being carried on. But was it happening because you adhered to the law? Or was it happening just because you had put your trust in Jesus? Was the Spirit moving and doing miraculous things because you were following meticulously the laws of Moses? And the answer, of course, is no. That had nothing to do with it. And so, as I said, Paul here is appealing to their own experience. He's trying to jar their brains and to get them back to remembering what it was all like initially. Because the truth of the matter is, at this point, as we see as we go further into Galatians, uh, they were miserable at this point. They were biting and devouring one another. They were criticizing one another. There's all kinds of contention and strife in the congregation. And it had gone from this wonderful, beautiful situation to something that was actually probably pretty ugly. And that's what happens when you try to be perfected in the flesh. When you move out of the realm of the spirit and you move into the realm of the flesh, that is always going to happen. So Paul appeals to their experience, but secondly, he appeals to scripture. And so verses six through nine, and you have to see here the, the wisdom of Paul. Paul is a master in the scriptures. And now these men would come and their focus would be on Moses. So they came and they said, well, you know, believing in Jesus, that's fine, you know, but hey, listen, Moses, he's the, he, you know, he gave us the law and, and the law is eternal and there's no uh, getting around obedience to the law. And Moses would have been revered. He was, of course, highly revered in Judaism, but uh, he would have been revered amongst these people as well. And so these false teachers come in, and this is, they come in with Moses. But Paul, he goes one up on them, and he comes in with Abraham. Because Abraham, of course, was the father of the nation. And so what Paul does is he takes the Galatians back in the scriptures and shows that before Moses was ever born, centuries before Moses ever came, and before the law was ever given, Abraham was declared righteous before God in just the very same way that Paul was saying the Galatians had been declared righteous by faith. And so verse six, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. You see, these guys were coming in and say, oh, you wanna be real Christians, you really want to please God, you really want to be the sons of Abraham, you got to keep the Mosaic law. Paul says, oh no. No, long before Moses ever came, God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that's what we see. The Lord says to Moses, he takes him out, he tells him your descendants are going to be like the stars in, in uh in heaven, as far as innumerable, the sand on the seashore, and through you and your descendants, your seed, one seed individually, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
And Paul says this as he goes on. Notice he says in verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You see, what Paul is saying is that, listen, the same way that you have gotten saved is the way Abraham was saved. And Abraham was saved that way to set the standard or to give the model for how God was going to save people for all time. Now, as we go on in Galatians, Paul is going to explain that the Jews themselves, and he knew better than anyone because he was one of them, that they had misunderstood the law. And they had somehow thought that the law sort of abrogated the promises to Moses or to Abraham. But what Paul is going to show is that, no, that's not the case at all. The law was a temporary measure. And it had its purpose, but once it fulfilled its purpose, the, the law was over. And Abraham was always the model. God showed through Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was always the model by which God would save people throughout all time. The Gentiles the, the, during this age, the church age, all of this was, was modeled beforehand by Abraham. So... This is how Paul begins to break down their misunderstandings and uh, begin to move them back toward the path of grace. But I, I want to go back and I want to just look for a minute or two at just the, the whole idea of, you know, his word to them, foolish Galatians. And, and I want to remind us that um, there, are, there are certain things that we might do, we might be tempted to do, that if we were to do these things, we would be in that same category. We would, we would find ourselves in the category of those who are foolish. We would be committing folly if we were to do these things, and some have done them. But here they are. First, we are foolish when we think that we need to add anything to the finished work of Christ. That's foolish. That's folly. To think that, like, like I said earlier, to think that somehow my actions, no matter how well intended they might be, that are, are inevitably tainted by sin because I am a sinner. That somehow my actions are going to contribute to the work of Christ. That is folly to think that. To think that the work of Christ needed, need, needs to be added to. Now, you know, this is highly offensive to God. Think about this. God says, basically, God says, I, I received the sacrifice of my son. That is sufficient payment. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the proof that God received his sacrifice for our sin. Jesus said he was going to the cross. He was going to pay for the sins of the world. How do we know that God accepted the, the payment? He raised Jesus from the dead. So God says this sacrifice is sufficient. The person who seeks to add to what Jesus did is basically saying to God, God, you know, the sacrifice of your son wasn't really adequate. I, I, I'm going to make a contribution to it. Now, this is not something that just, you know, little sort of weird things that happen uh, sporadically throughout the history of the church and uh, very few people have fallen into this trap. This has been a massive trap 
for Christians from day one. And listen, for 1,000 years, from about 500 to 1,500, people were taught, the church believed and proclaimed that trust in Christ alone was not sufficient for salvation. You needed to help it out. You needed to add your good work. You needed to add your good works to it. That, that was essentially the doctrine of the church. That is still pretty much the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church to this day. So this is, like I said, this is not some little matter. This is, this is huge. But it's folly. It's foolishness to think that we can add anything to the finished work of Christ. We cannot. There's nothing that we could possibly add. We are not saved by the death of Jesus and our good works combined. The good works that are part of our lives as believers are the, the result of our faith in Christ and having been saved by him. They're not the cause of it. And we have to always keep that in mind because that gets, that gets reversed so often. It has been reversed so many times over in history. So it's folly to think that way. Secondly, it's foolish when we think that we can obtain salvation through works. But this is the way most people think that you are saved. And listen, this idea that you are saved, if I mean saved in some religions isn't necessarily the right word or the most accurate word, but you know, the idea is that um, you obtain God's favor, whatever that looks like, whatever that translates to in the end, that you do it through your human effort. That is a universal idea. All religions teach that. You know, people say all religions basically teach the same thing in some... In, to some degree, that's true, because all religions teach that you will obtain God's favor, whatever the God is in that particular religious expression, you will obtain God's favor through uh, your human effort. The only religion in the world that says that's not the case is biblical Christianity. And I have to say biblical Christianity because much of Christianity has bought into the other idea. But you see, it's folly. It's utter foolishness to think that we can obtain salvation through our works. All of our works, all of our best efforts on our best day, as I said, still have the taint of sin. It's, it's an impossibility. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that that gives us this understanding that salvation is by grace alone. It's through faith alone in Jesus. You know, grace is uh, limited to the gospel. You don't find grace in any other religion. It's only in the gospel. God's unmerited favor directed toward us because of what Jesus did. So again, now, of course, there are some who, who are very aggressive and, and, and you know, intentionally do teach that we need to add to what Christ did by our works. I think probably most of us here, most, most of you listening to me right now, I think you probably do reject that. But you know, it's still possible that we can subtly fall under that. Even though we know that that isn't the case, isn't it true that sometimes if we think about if we think about the way we're thinking, we would have to conclude that, well, that must be what I think. Do you know how many people have said to me over the years, people that I know are Christians, I think most of the time they know they're Christians, but you know, they have those moments where I've had many people say to me, you know, pastor, I just, 
you know, I, I know I love Jesus, but I'm just not sure in the end if I'm going to make it. You know what that says? That says that however subtly it is, you are somehow thinking that you have to contribute to your salvation. You have to do something to, to make sure in the end that you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Relax. Because Jesus did the work. And as a Christian, you're, you're trusting him. You know, I know, I have absolute confidence I'm going to heaven, and I don't think for a split second that that has anything to do with me in the sense that, well, of course I'm going to go to heaven. You know, I'm not just a Christian, I'm a pastor. <laughs> no, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm, I'm in part of God's kingdom, and I know I'm going to be there forever. And you know why I have absolute confidence in that? Because Jesus did everything that needed to be done, and I just simply believe that that is true. And that's the way salvation works. And if we ever find ourselves wondering, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm going to make it, then it just shows that we've somehow shifted into that, that mindset of, of a works-based salvation. And I'm, what I'm saying to you today is just get that out of your head. Just reject it because it's not reality. It's not the way it works. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ Thirdly, we are foolish when we think the flesh is the way to spiritual maturity. Remember what Paul said in verse 3? He said, having begun in the Spirit, are you so foolish as to think that, that having begun in the Spirit, you're now going to be made perfect through the flesh? So we would be foolish if we think that the flesh is the way to spiritual maturity. But listen, we have got to see right here what the flesh is referring to because it's not referring to what we most often uh, think it is. Because most of the time when we think of the flesh, we think of things like sexual immorality. We think of things like drunkenness. We think of things like greed. We think of uh, things like uh, theft or hatred or murder. And yes, indeed, those are all manifestations of the flesh. But there's another manifestation of the flesh, and that's the one that Paul's talking about here. And the one that he's talking about here is religious observance. And see, the, the crazy thing is this is the one that we would never really think it's the flesh. We think that, that you know, re devout religious ob observance is that, well, this is the way to get perfected. No. Now, let's never forget that the most religious people, the most devout people religiously probably ever in the history of the world are the ones who put the Son of God on a cross. They're called the Pharisees. And those guys were religious. They were devout they followed the law to the T, but they had no faith in the God they were claiming to worship. And so when that God came among them, they rejected him and crucified him. So listen, here's my point. You can be devoutly religious and yet be totally in the flesh. You can be deeply religious and not be a Christian. And as a Christian, the problem for us sometimes is that we fall into this idea that somehow it's through the, uh, the flesh that we're going to be perfected in the spirit. Now, I, I think that with, with the Galatians, Paul is primarily 
dealing in the context with the justification issue. And the justification is the salvation issue. And that's what he's seeking to correct here. But you can also take this whole idea and you can take it a step further into sanctification. Let me just explain that word. Uh, justification means our standing before God, we're declared righteous when we're justified. Sanctification is our uh, progress in our growing into the image of Christ. It's, the, it's our maturing in the faith. And now here's what we can do. Here's what Christians often do. We know that we are justified by grace through faith, but sometimes we think that we're sanctified by works. And sometimes what we do is we, uh, you know, we, we've received Christ by faith, and then we, at, at times, for, for a variety of reasons, we start to bring in religious observances, thinking that in doing so, we're going to make ourselves more acceptable to God. And that's where we would be doing the same thing that the Galatians did, where we are foolishly thinking that the way to spiritual maturity is through the flesh. In this case, becoming religious. And when I say religious, what I'm talking about here is adopting rituals and things. Remember the Galatians, they're, they're believing in Jesus. Everything is great. They're just loving the Lord. It's all good. It's all wonderful. And then it's like, oh no, man, you got to be circumcised. Oh, hey, are you keeping the Sabbath day? And oh, but what, what about the dietary laws? And you know, you can't do this. And that's the kind of thing. Now, we're not going to necessarily embrace the law of Moses, but we can embrace a lot of other things. And this has happened all too often among Christians. And I want to just illustrate this by telling you a, a little bit of my own experience, my own story back years ago when I was young. And, and I, I and a number of my friends, we went through this same kind of a thing. You know, where we started out and man, we got saved and it was just so dynamic and wonderful and it was so joyful and boy we were reading God's word and we were praying and we were sharing our faith and we were just doing it all just kind of rather naturally just out of love for Jesus and excitement for him and it was all so good and you know and then something happened you know somebody came along and just began to lay a trip on us somebody came along and said well you know well how 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 many chapters in your bible are you reading Oh, wow, gee, I don't know. I never really thought about chapters. I'm just reading my Bible. And it's like, well, you know, if you're not reading this many chapters, you're not really spiritual. Oh, okay, boy, better, better read some more chapters. And uh, well, how long are you praying? Well, I don't know. We never really timed it, but uh, maybe we should, uh, oh gosh, how long are we praying? And then, well, you know, how many people have you led to Christ? Well, we, didn't, we weren't really counting, but maybe we should count. And, uh, you know, we just started getting into these weird trips. And it was people that came along and laid these weird trips on us. And in some cases, it came in the form of, of maybe a book. You know, somebody handed me a book of how to have a, you know, the deeper life. And I was like, oh, the deeper life, boy, you know, surely I want that. And we got sucked into this legalistic thing. And all of that, you know, the, one of the reasons why Galatians, this passage, one of the reasons why it, it speaks to me so loudly is because it's like, I lived this. I remember this. 
Because, man, I remember those early days where there was joy and there was love and there was just passion and excitement and, you know, just being together as God's people and coming to church. It was all just so good. It was so awesome. It was so free. We were just loving Jesus and it was all good. And, man, our lives were being changed. We were going through radical changes, but we weren't, you know, thinking so much about it. It was just happening. But then, man, something happened. And I think it's just like with the Galatians. Paul left that place and he's like, boy, this is, I don't even want to go. This place is so great. But then he heard the news a few months later. The miracles have stopped. The joy has disappeared. There's conflict and tension and fights and disputes and all of this stuff going on. Man, what happened? Well, the flesh came in. It came in as a religious thing. And listen, we have got to be careful. We've got to watch out for that. You know, John Henry and I were talking earlier about, you know, both of us, of course, we came from a Roman Catholic background. And, and in Roman Catholicism, I mean, you know, quite frankly, it is just what it is. It is, it is, uh, it's a works-based uh, doctrine of salvation. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and yes, he paid the price, but you know, you, you've got to make the contribution with your own good works as well. And so, you know, coming out of uh, Catholicism for me, there was that initial state of freedom, but I easily got sucked back into the legalism because that was kind of where I was at my whole life anyway. Just in my, even as bad as my uh, commitment to Catholicism was, I at least knew enough of it to live with guilt. And so it was easy for me to get back under that kind of guilt. And so I, I bought into this. But then it was not just like, you know, we had to make sure, or I had to make sure that I was um, reading more Bible chapters than the next person or that I was, I was talking to a friend this morning. His wife said, man, you just described my husband. It's like he had to read his Bible an hour every day. And if, and if it was 59 minutes, he'd be condemned for the rest of the day. It had to be 60 minutes. <laughs> and, and these are the kinds of things that can happen. But, but I remember back in those days, you know, it wasn't simply that it starts out with, with you and, oh, and you go under this thing, but then somehow it always works itself out to where you, you then got to impose this on other people. So it's not only that you need to be living like this, but now everybody does. And those that aren't, then you're there to criticize them. You're there to condemn them. You're there to rebuke them and all of this kind of thing. And when I, I got sucked up in this, and um, I'll, I'll never forget, and Cheryl reminded me earlier of this, but I remember coming home from work one day, and we were newly married, we were young, and uh, so I came home, and I just said, so, you know, honey, what, what have you been doing today? And, you know, she told me she had taken, our, our daughter was really just, you know, very small at the time, and she'd done something with the baby, and she'd shopped, and she'd, you know, I don't know what she'd done, you know, maybe she'd watched TV or something. And I was like, hmm, well, how much Bible did you read today? She's like, well, I read a little bit of my Bible. Well, how many chapters? Well, why are you asking me this? Well, because I just want to know, how spiritual are you? How many chapters did you read? And, you know, Cheryl's no pushover, so we, uh, she pushed back pretty hard, you know, like, you don't tell me how many chapters I'm going to read in my Bible. I'm going to read whatever chapters I want to read in my Bible. And... <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 so, you know, this, this kind of, you know, this thing started. And, uh, and, you know, and at one point, she said to me when I was 
uh, badgering her over her lack of spirituality from my standpoint, because I was so righteous at the time, she said to me, she said, you know, you are the most prideful person I have ever met. And I looked at her and I said, oh, honey, you don't know. I am actually the most humble person in the world. <laughs> and yes, the, the tragedy is I really was serious. I, I, thought I, I really thought I was. So I was just completely deluded and caught up in all of this crazy legalism. And it was so crazy. And so, like I said, I, I can relate to the Galatians because I went from that place. And, and it was like, you know, uh, I, I remember, um, I'll tell a couple of quick stories here that are so funny. Uh, I really got into reading um, these, uh, you know, kind of deeper spiritual life books. And here's, here's a book that I do not recommend anybody to read, but I read it, I ingested it, I believed it, I preached it. And it was a book called Why Revival Terries by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. And, um, and I remember just, you know, and that, that book is so legalistic, it's not even funny. So just, you know, that's my perspective on the book still today. I, I used to, I thought that um, many years after the fact, and after I had grown out of that, I looked back and I thought, wow, you know, I was just way too immature to read that book and kind of chew the meat and spit out the bones. So a few years ago, I picked it up again to read it now as a mature, more established Christian. And I read it again and I thought, oh, wow, no, this thing is just a, bu a bunch of legalism. So anyway, um, I, I had really gotten into that. And then I got to the point of, I started to think that, you know, you know, Pastor Chuck, he's just this grace thing. You know, he's just way too into grace. You know, doesn't he understand that, man, we got to preach holiness and we got to preach righteousness. And I'll never forget, we were driving home one day from church because I used to, he'd pick me up in the mornings and we would drive here. This is when I was really young. And, uh, and then we would drive home in the afternoon. And, and when everything was said and done, I remember we were driving home one day and I said, you know, Chuck, I said, if, you know, I just think we have a, you know, we're, we're preaching like a, um, like an easy believism here at Calvary, you know, and we just, you know, we really don't understand grace. And, you know, would, I, I, th I was thinking we should invite Leonard Ravenhill here to preach. And as only Chuck could do, he just sat there in silence, driving the car. And then he finally did his classic, oh, and, and I just went on like, yeah, because, you know, there, there's not holiness and we need to be more righteous and, you know, we need to, and, you know, I just went on and on and I think I was like 24 years old at the time and he just wisely ignored everything I said and uh, never sent out that invitation. But I've been there, done that. I did the legalistic thing and it just quenches the spirit. And, you know, I remember back then, uh, I, I was always struggling with, you know, oh, I got to give this up for the Lord, and I got to give that up for the Lord. And for me, you know, I grew up surfing, that was my whole deal, and I loved surfing and all that. And, you know, and then so I was always like, oh, you know, surfing's a God, I got to lay it down. And I come home and tell Cheryl, you know, honey, I got to sell my surfboard. And she's like, okay, whatever, you know, and... Uh, you know, I just think the Lord is dealing with me about it. So I'd sell my surfboard and, you know, for six months, I'd be preaching against surfing to everybody, you know, and, <laughs> and then I'd show up at home with a surfboard. She's like, wait, what are you doing with a surfboard? I thought God told you you needed to get rid of it. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. I, I just need to go surfing. And, you know, I did that two or three times. Joey Baran actually did that with me as well. We kind of both got into that for a while. 
But listen, it, these are the kinds of things that we can get carried off into. And that's not it. That's, that's not it. The Lord's given us all things richly to enjoy. And of course, things need to be in a balance. And, and of course, there can be things that, you know, can, can be, be out of whack in our lives. And we need to get all of that together. But, you know, in the back of my mind, this was the problem. In the back of my mind, somehow I was going to attain a, a holier position, a more powerful position, if I just, you know, gave these things up. And, and it kind of was a throwback to my, my Catholic upbringing because there, you know, there, very, there is very much an idea that, that you need to sort of, um, you know, the, the, you need to make yourself suffer in order to really make yourself worthy enough to be uh, God's child. And that, that's, that's very much ingrained there. So, and, and in a lot of ways, it does, you don't even have to be Roman Catholic. It just, it's, it's natural to us. And this is all of the stuff that we're talking about here. And when Paul says, having begun in the spirit, are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? Do you think that going and just adding this, this list of, well, I've got to read my Bible for 60 uh, minutes exactly. I've got to read, you know, I can't read one chapter and get ministered to. No, I got to read 10 chapters. Or I can't pray for a half hour. No, I got to pray for three hours. Or I can't just share my faith as the Lord opens a door. No, I got to go out and make sure I've witnessed to five people a day or, you know, I, I, no, I, I can't, uh, boy, you know, I can't go to a movie or I can't watch TV or I can't enjoy a sport or all of that. You know, that, all of that's the flesh. No, I'm in the flesh. I, I've, I've, I've adopted the, the flesh in the form of religion and I'm quenching the spirit. And that, of course, becomes something that is so unattractive to the unbeliever. And many times, you know, people have been turned off from the faith because they look at a Christian as morbid and against anything and everything that has any semblance of fun or enjoyment. And, you know, it's, it's just a sad state of affairs. And the enemy is the one who fools us into thinking that this is the way to go. And it just, it, it uh, wreaks havoc across the board. So, in the end, this is what I want us to know. We've begun in the spirit, and you don't really advance beyond the spirit. This is, this is it. So now, what we do, we don't, we don't go out and add some religious system to what we already have. We now just cultivate the life of the spirit. And so we have begun in the spirit. We remain in the spirit, obeying and serving Christ simply out of love for love's sake because of his great love for us and we're just reciprocating that love back to him. You see, it's a love relationship. It's where we enjoy our father and he loves us. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just say this in, in right here at the very end. I I have done this myself over the years, and I've said in many sermons where I've heard this done, and I've even heard preachers talk about it, and I have come to believe that it's just so absolutely not the way it's supposed to be. And you know, there are some people that believe that it is our job as preachers to make you feel as miserable as we possibly can. So you leave church 
<laughs> just feeling like a loser who's never gonna get it together and you gotta go out and try harder. God forgive us because we are the children of God already. We are saved. God is pleased with us. He loves us. We're his kids. Now, of course, there are kids that are rebellious sometimes and they need correction. And there are certainly times when somebody is going to come into church and they are going to feel guilty because they are guilty. But the answer is not some legalistic thing. The answer is just repentance and receiving God's grace again. But I want you to know, and I want us to know, and, and I, I have learned this over the years. You know, God loves me. He's not mad at me. He's not disappointed at me. He's not wanting to just constantly slap me around because, you know, I'm just not living up. When I think that way, it's because I put a standard that God hasn't put. And, and you need to know that. God loves you. And let his love for you in the cross, and this is where we come back around to the gospel, like I said earlier uh, in our teaching in Galatians, the gospel doesn't just save us. It's the gospel that sanctifies us. Because when we come back to the gospel, we really just come back around to, man, Jesus gave everything for me. He gave up his life. He died for me. And how could I do anything less than just reciprocate that, just giving my life back to him in return? So God help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that it brings joy and that it brings freedom and that it just uh, abounds in love. And Lord, the picture of the spirit and, and miracles and freedom and, and all of that, Lord, that's where we want to live. And Lord, you know we're prone to fall into that trap of legalism, or we're prone to fall into the trap of, of becoming religious, and then either becoming so arrogant because we think we are holier than thou, or we just live in despair and defeat because we're just constantly focusing on our failures. Lord, free us from both of those things, and may we just live in your grace, and may we grow through your grace, and may you bring us into maturity. Lord, we just acknowledge today, having begun in the spirit, we cannot be perfected through the flesh. Lord, we want to stay focused on the spirit. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.